Hello Rheumatology Podcast listeners, this is Sorsha here from the Motherhood Journal. We are delighted to sponsor this episode of the Rheumatology Physiotherapy Podcast. The Motherhood Journal is designed by two new mums for all new mums. We have designed the only journal made for year one of motherhood. It is a gratitude journal, a mum life planner and a baby memoir all in one book. This beautiful journal will guide you, encourage you and uplift you, bring you joy and empower you to trust your instincts and most importantly, look back on your journey as a new mum with pride. Between these pages is the story of you and your baby and how you grew together. We wanted to give you guys a special podcast discount code. So just type in POD15, that's POD15 at the checkout for an exclusive discount. All you need to do is head to themotherhoodjournal.com, add a journal to the basket, pop in the discount code and you will be well on your way to recording the most special moments you will ever get. Check us out now at themotherhoodjournal.com. Hello, welcome back to Roommates and um, I'm delighted to be back interviewing again which I haven't done very much of recently for, again for various reasons but um, venturing away from the normal topics of conversation although still remaining in the realms of rheumatology uh, for this interview with Faye Stones who is a really interesting combination as a character really so not only does she have uh, ankylosing spondylitis um, but is also head of MSK services um, as a physiotherapist, so can give some really good insights into uh, various aspects of being diagnosed with this uh, condition and then um, her journey with that. We center quite a lot around the symptoms that she um, has had and how she's managed them, but also how being a physiotherapist has affected her journey as well which is really, really interesting. And then we also go on to talk about how it affected her with regards to pregnancy. And we try to come to some conclusions around what advice could be given to other ladies who are either thinking of becoming pregnant or are pregnant or about to give birth, um, who also have inflammatory disorders. So I hope this is useful on many different levels. um, And certainly we branch into the sort of pelvic health female health sphere here with our inflammatory um, hats on. Please do get back to me with any thoughts, um, information, patients that you might have seen who have been on similar journeys um, and I'd be really happy to hear that. You can find me of course on social media, the rheumatology physio or you can email me jack.march at choosehealth.co.uk. Finally, um, I'm going to shill a little bit for ratings, reviews, um, whatever you can do on your podcast platform would be absolutely brilliant. Um, And don't forget to follow, of course, lots more rheumatology content to come. I'm going to put a real dedicated period of time into trying to create some content for you all and um, really look forward to doing that and hopefully hearing from you all as well um, as we as we progress through time. Um, so enjoy this, L- tons to learn, lots of things for me to take away, lots of reading for me to go and do as well. So hopefully you will find it as interesting as I did. So I'll leave you now and we'll go on to talk with Faye Stones.
Okay, um, welcome back to um, the Roommates podcast. I haven't recorded one of these in a while, and I'm delighted I'm joined by uh, Faye today, who we're going to talk to all about um, spondylitis, pregnancy, um, how it's affected her through those particular journeys as well, and um, hopefully get some useful information and explore her experiences with regards to um, spondylitis and symptoms and how that's affected her and certainly some challenges I think along the way as well so welcome to the show Faye thanks for joining me hello hi yeah um do you want to quickly give us a bit of a background about yourself um because there's a few interesting things about you which make you a great guest to talk to about some of these things okay yeah so my name's Faye I'm a physio by profession so I'm a head of MSK services and uh, based in Wakefield, West Yorkshire, and I am a mum of two girls, uh, six and nearly two. Perfect. And you have a couple of relevant diagnoses as well, don't you, for our audience? So do you want to tell us a little bit, um, not too much detail, but a little bit of um, background as to what happened to you, how you got those diagnoses, and then we'll go from there. Yes, it's a bit of a... um, of an unusual journey to diagnosis I think than what you would what you're typically told to look out for um so my I was diagnosed when I was 23 um and quite suddenly um so I it's a bit of a, well, a funny story about it. so I'd been on a Hindu <laughs> um in Lincoln um and I remember driving back from that weekend and thinking I've got this really really severe pain anyway this escalated over a a number of days and I was due to start a new job as an MSK physio so my motivation behind seeking help and advice was this was purely purely pain relief um, because I didn't want to be starting a new job not being able to to walk and, and being quite visibly in pain so I went down to the GP practice and asked for some stronger anti-inflammatories um, and it was down to kind of a a really on the ball locum GP, which led to my led to my diagnosis. So he obviously wasn't happy with my presentation. Um, I'd not done anything. I hadn't fallen. I did tell him I'd been on a Hindu, and it was quite possible that I could have fallen and not not being aware of it. Uh, but nothing significant. And obviously he quite rightly wasn't wasn't happy with the level of very acute severe pain I was in in such a short period of time. So he sent me um, for an MRI scan um and gave me the the anti-inflammatories quite usefully um which I thought okay that's fine I'll go down that and and have that I didn't really uh, feel that I needed it um and then the results of the MRI came back um with um quite severe sacroiliitis um which led to them requesting a CT scan Uh, they wanted to have a, a closer look and obviously then the blood test followed for the HLAB 27, uh, which came back positive. Um, and so within a matter of a few weeks, I got from wanting some pain relief, I was then told I had ankylosing spondylitis, um, which I denied, <laughs> said that they'd got it wrong. Um, by that point, my symptoms had started to settle a little bit. And I think my focus was on uh, just on starting a new job. And this was the kind of, I didn't really have time to be to be bothering with this things seem to be starting to calm down so I sort of said that's 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 really nice you think that but um but I don't think I have (laughs) 
Um, I think, you know, I convinced myself I was one of those patients with the HLA B27 positive, but didn't actually have the have the disease, ignoring the fact that my MRI scan just lit up like a <laughs> um, like a light. So um, that was my my diagnosis, really. So it was an unusual one. I wasn't somebody that was suffering in pain for a long time and desperately wanted to know the reason for this. And it was it was very quick, very sudden. Um, so in terms of processing that whole diagnosis, if I'm honest, I think has taken me the best part of 10 years um, to do that. Yeah, historically as well. So we go back sort of ten years or so. It was that's when it was still deemed very much a male disease. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, and I suppose in some ways, luckily for you, you you presented in a much more classical fashion. By the sounds of it, um, we see a lot of women not presenting like that. Very diffuse symptoms. Very difficult um, sort of differential diagnosis. Mm. So it's yeah, really interesting journey from ten years ago that actually we look at the data women tend to wait a lot longer than men for diagnosis yeah. and you are the opposite end of the scale um, yeah. happening very quickly um do you think um just while we're talking about that do you with the acceptance and the um um the sort of understanding of the condition do you feel like being a physio at the time was helpful or unhelpful at that stage because I often think a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing isn't yeah it? um yeah. but do you, tell me a little bit about that at the time I think it was yeah, it's definitely been a hindrance, and I think it probably, I think it probably still is. So I think as physios, naturally, we we work on the basis of cause and effect, don't we? And and with something like spondylitis, that doesn't really fit. Um, so I think, you know, I, yeah, I was, and I think for years I was still struggling to find a cause mm. for that, and, and any differential diagnosis, you name it, I went through it. You know, what they've got it wrong, what could it possibly be, or this is this has just triggered an acute inflammatory response here and, it, and it's not actually a disease progression. And yeah, and I really, um, and even and even now, probably sometimes when I'm not in a flare up, I'll think, oh, yeah, I told you they got it wrong. <laughs> so I'm very, I'm very quick to, de- to defer back to, I haven't got it, um, oh. than I have. Um, so I think, it, yeah, that, that acceptance and that, and that, that denial probably was quite strong. Um, I probably didn't want to accept because I'd like you say I knew too much. Yeah. So I think I was trying to shut myself away from, from that. Um, the, the first rheumatologist I see, I saw actually was, was a shocking experience. Um, and, and I think you find this as a healthcare professional, whenever you seek any medical <laughs> advice is that they, there's a lot of assumptions made perhaps about where you're at with something, your understanding of it and, and all of that and I think you're not necessarily treated the same way that that somebody else would be um so I remember his words you know and he said to me oh you know you I didn't really fully understand it wasn't accepting it so don't worry you'll you know you have this disease but you'll you'll die of something else was his uh Lovely. his initial consultation with me I thought great <laughs> and I was you know I was having all the bloods taken and and they weren't really fully explaining the journey to me as perhaps they mm. would have done with a patient um I think they just assumed you know you're you know these pathways you're you're a physio when I didn't have experience in rheumatology that wasn't my my area so um so yeah I think more could have perhaps been been done there definitely um mm. and also because I wasn't looking for a diagnosis I think a lot of our patients they are aren't they they're, they're looking for an answer they're looking for an answer to their pain and once they've got that they almost feel a sense of relief 
whereas I was the opposite that I was <laughs> trying not trying desperately not to have a diagnosis and, and I don't and I think that's even as as professionals ourselves we're not really prepared to manage patients that are coming from that angle mm. um, there's, a, there's a big sense of permanence about especially something like ankylosing spondylitis or it's related sort of subsets of like mm. you know it's oh so something's gone wrong genetically has it well that's not yeah. that's not improving is it um and and yeah that little bit of knowledge about that is and then being told some of those things that you were then told you know you're not going to die of it it's like yeah but it's gonna be crap for years <laughs> it's not very helpful is it um yeah, yeah so yeah, that's really interesting. And I think, um, you know, I would hope nowadays that we're a bit better explaining those things and um, and gaining an understanding of what's going to happen. What was your um, you said about anti-inflammatories? What was the what was the um, process like with medications? Just uh, and where are you at now with medication? Yes, obviously, I was very anti medication being a being a physio. I was. Mm. Yeah, I think we're, we're the, we make the worst patients, don't we, really? Um and you know, I went down the classical route of, of courses of things like naproxens and um, um, celecoxib and, and that sort of stuff. And because of the because of the way mine sort of presented, so I had a, had that initial very strong flare up, very very severe flare up. Um, you know, I was I wasn't able to weight bear through my left through my left leg at all. I remember trying to trying to walk the dog with one crutch and the dog in one lead and. <laughs> tying a jump around my waist really tightly because that seemed to help with that um with the SI joint and and doing all sorts of doing all sorts of things and because of the high mobility side of it medication's always been um a tricky one mm. because I don't fall into um into particular criteria for that and I've not particularly wanted to I've I've, I've always tried to manage the flare-ups with the least medication as possible um I've recently uh, had to have a course of steroids which was so the first time since diagnosis I've needed steroids um and that was post covid vaccination okay. I don't know how much you want me to talk about. let's come back to that yeah let's we'll come, come back, back to, to that, that. I yeah. don't know how yeah tricky that one is but um so yeah that I, I suppose you would have classed me being in remission mm. so to speak for, for a while and that seemed to have thrown me out of out of one and, and I've needed two courses of tapering steroids so that's the strongest I've I've been um I've also had a a guided steroid injection into the left sacroiliac joint which was a horrendous experience I'm not going to lie I can Um, imagine yeah that was I don't think they've heard words like that come out of the CT (laughs) before um and and but if I'm honest with myself I think that probably did help Mm. um at that time so that was after um my first daughter after having my first daughter that was that sort of flare-up um required that that injection um so now I I don't take anything okay um I you know I would always just revert to if I'm in a if I'm in a flare-up it would be an you know an an aproxin or celecoxid that I would take for for a couple of weeks to get on top of things but I very much um try to I I know that it, it will improve yeah so I tend to modify and yeah. I stick it out and I, and um, part of me thinks maybe I should be a little bit more keen on the anti-inflammatories you know thinking about damage and and, and things like that but I, I, yeah I try to stick it out if I'm honest. Mm. Okay. Um, 
really want to get into the conversation about um obviously having your daughter and those kind of things i just wanted to just take a step back and we talked you mentioned very briefly about the hypermobility as well yeah. do you want to just tell us a little bit about um how those two conditions are kind of interacting so we've obviously got ankylosing spondylitis which reduces mobility significantly causes lots of stiffness we've got mm -hmm. hypermobility which obviously theoretically is the opposite um has that how's that been and has that caused you any particular sort of unique issues do you think i think that um the biggest thing to mention now is the fatigue because obviously mm. both of them but you know are fatigue inducing so the hypermobility definitely um the it's a tricky one i, I always try to explain it so with the ankylosing spondylitis that that's trying to stiffen me up <laughs> and the hypermobility is is counteracting that but so i have I have a good range of movement, but I have stiffness through movement. Mm. So the feel, so I can, you know, I am still classically hypermobile, but the feeling I get through that range is stiffness, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so it, it can be painful, but I would present with, with, with full movement. You know, when I see the rheumatologist, you know, I'm, you would think looking at me objectively, I'm absolutely fine until I describe how that how that feels and then you look at my images and then you look at the bloods and you put the whole picture together so I think it's been um it's difficult I don't know how it's, it's hard isn't it I, I wonder how much the hypermobility helps me mm. I wonder what I would like be like without the hypermobility I've always wondered that um and vice versa you know what what would it be just with hypermobility and not with with DAS so yeah yeah certainly um if you if, if we think about the numbers of people who get ankylosing spondylitis and hypermobility there is going to be an overlap um yeah. you know it's um it's not like one protects you from the other they're they're just different conditions and uh, i think i read recently of somewhere around 25 percent of people will fit a hypermobility criteria so it's obviously highly common um mm -hmm comparative to something like ankylosing spondylitis there's definitely going to be some overlap i was wondering about you said about having retained your um, range of motion but with mm. the stiffness so i was wondering if you um if there is any structural change or if you know if there's any structural change you talked about sacroiliac joints earlier have you seen any of that on x-ray as yeah. yet you have yeah so the left si joint is quite uh, there was quite advanced um, erosion Okay. On that left side, and that's um, so. I'm actually waiting for um, for another MRI, which will be which will only be my second um, MRI, just to see if there is any active mm. active disease at the moment before I decide on another um, guided injection. So that would be my, my the kind of route that I'm going down at the minute. Um, but yeah, the, the the left side has has had quite a lot of quite a lot of damage, which is which is visible yeah um, a little bit on the right side um but that's uh, nothing else mm. in the spine so again unusual you fit slightly into the more unusual category ladies don't tend to get the damage or yeah. the fusion the same as in the same numbers of men and i wonder if you know when you add the, all these pieces together you're a very abrupt onset you sort yeah. of had a more male onset of yep. disease you would fit more of a male category which is interesting and obviously these things aren't black and white um but it, but again it probably being female fits your your sort of peaking and troughing presentation yeah. as well so it's, you've got a really interesting combination and add the hypermobility on top of that as well mm, and then like mm. you say all that fatigue um that sort of brings me on to talking about fatigue brings me on to talking yeah. about 
children. Um, yeah. If we, so you're obviously diagnosed prior to either of the, of yeah. the daughters, weren't you? So mm. um, do you want to tell what what sort of happened? Give us give us a bit of an overview. You know, were there particular problems sort of um, um, with whilst you were pregnant, or was it mostly afterwards? Or tell us a little mm. bit about what happened there. Yeah, so by the time I was having my first daughter, the um, the AS was probably quite dormant. I would I would say it wasn't it wasn't causing me any real day to day issues. Um, but when I when you obviously go through the checking of you know all your checks with your with your midwife and everything, it, you know all my sort of medical records will pop up <laughs> with all these all these things. And and often when I go to appointments. Um, and they ask you about your medical history you know, and things like that. If it's not in a GP sort of land, I would, I, I don't really tell tell mm. them <laughs> because it's just nobody, you know, they don't really understand it. And then you've got to go into the whole thing. Well, actually, yes, but I'm not on any medication and it's all right. You don't need to worry about it. I just think I'll just save myself the time and not and not bother. Um, but obviously going through the, the midwife's checks, um, going through, yes, you're under rheumatology and, and you've got this condition. And it was so bizarre. And, and she sort of looked at this list and she said, right, you know your condition is on this list um it tells me that you need to take um aspirin throughout your pregnancy um and I said oh that's interesting why is that and she said I don't know it's just on the list (laughs) you need to take aspirin because you're at risk you're an increased risk of preeclampsia okay um so being a physio I went away and tried to have a look at any research between that and it's not very clear to be honest and nobody really could tell me why Mm -hmm. it was just you're on the list so you need to take this and so I thought, all right, okay, so I took this daily aspirin whilst I was pregnant. No problems in terms of um, pain or mobility. If anything, I would say, you know, those natural steroids kick in and I was probably feeling quite good. Um, and then I um, continued with the steroids. And what, what happened with my first daughter was that I did develop preeclampsia. Um, but on on delivery, so again, I'm an unusual case in that I developed silent preeclampsia. <laughs> so I didn't swell up. I didn't get oh. any of the the symptoms that you're told to look for. Um, I just felt a little bit unwell, but it was my first baby, so I didn't know what what to expect until they literally I was in labour and they hooked me up and found that I was quite severely ill. Um, so I had quite a traumatic delivery uh, with her. She was born in 20 minutes from start to finish. Gosh. Um, which is what happens as part of preeclampsia you know the body has to uh, deliver the baby and then things will calm down Mm. um so that was all a bit of a a shock I think again going back to the whole acceptance and denial thing because they'd not fully explained to me why I needed to take the aspirin and there wasn't any understanding I was I didn't really see the importance of it and I did take it but obviously then I still went on to develop the the preeclampsia they warned me about but again even if it happened nobody could tell me the link between the two Mm. um so I I suppose that a traumatic delivery with a significant amount of blood loss on top of having AS and uh, and high mobility is not it's not a good cocktail so I was I was quite poorly for some time in terms of the fatigue um Mm. um you know I was quite severely anemic and then I would say I I would say she was about three months when the flare-up came so she was about three months old um and it was it, it was quite a bad one yeah a significant, significant flare-up so and for um for somebody with a young baby to then have to deal with um with that was quite was quite horrific so just the practicalities of things you know waking in the night um I obviously I, I, 
I felt like I couldn't lift her out of the cot because I was I was struggling to weight bear again on that left side. It was very easy to give way. I had that mm-hmm. real sort of fierce, burning, intense pain in the pelvis. It was obviously in an active state of, of disease. Um, but obviously you do do those things because you're a mum. So I did go and pick her up in the middle of the night. I'll and just I did... leave, yeah, can't leave her there. For... <laughs> can't leave. I'll just I wait until work. my flare-up goes away. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I did have to carry her around up and down the stairs. You know, I did have mm. to look the the car seats in and out and the prams. And I would I would walk leaning on the pram to try and take some of that pressure off a little bit. Um, and I was I was always very much um, kind of conscious of hiding the fact I was in pain. And I perhaps always have been, even from even from day one. So, um, yeah, so it, that was a really difficult time. And that flare-up probably lasted the best part of 12 months. Um, yeah. As my body's trying to adjust from having a baby for the traumatic birth to losing all the blood to then this this inflammatory state having to die down again. So that was that was particularly difficult. Um, mm. and And that's what led to me having a steroid injection in that left-hand side to try and calm things down again. Yeah, um so yeah that... yeah we we see we i mean that follows a lot of what we see in in sort of the literature when you re, when when you see um ladies who have been been through um pregnancy is they do tend to be better during the pregnancy mm. and then they tend to flare afterwards and there's some really obvious reasons for that with regards to yeah. your inflammatory system being elevated and again with yourself clear even increased more reasons for that for that mm. to have occurred um we also do see mostly in with the anki spond patients is a lot of you, you weren't taking the medications that are prohibited but you know a lot of the anti-tnf medications mm. and the biologics you can't take while you're trying to conceive and then you can't take while you're pregnant so a lot of pe- people they won't flare but their symptoms will be worse during pregnancy mm. because they have to come off their medications. so in some ways you were sort of lucky and then in other ways obviously mm. clearly quite not it's not something i have to admit i've heard much about is the preeclampsia um there is a bit of a limitation in the amount of information we have about pregnant ladies mm. with with inflammatory spinal diseases because as mm. we mentioned already we didn't know they existed until yeah. <laughs> particularly um yeah. so there's just not a lot of them um for us to find that out but you know when you look at the data from sort of rheumatoid arthritis where there's loads more we see that mm. pattern of symptoms but um you don't see a lot of birth complications i have to admit the um the ladies tend to have a slightly smaller baby um but otherwise they tend not to have any issues. So it's interesting to hear about the preeclampsia is something I'm going to go mm. research, uh, but obviously you didn't get very far. But No, um, I didn't get very far, no. <laughs> and I looked at it was a case of it's on the list. <laughs> it's yeah. on the list of reasons why you need to take aspirin. Um, but nobody could go any further than than so. that, really. Uh, even, the, even the consultant, that obviously been having that condition, you become under uh, consultant-led care for you. Yeah. Uh, for that and and even they couldn't really shed shed much light on it and it they were also fascinated on on the physical side of it and on um any issues around around the pelvis in terms of the delivery rather than they were the more systemic side of it I think um and again because I was appear very fit and well um I think they were less less concerned it took them all by surprise when that when that happened and again, it would be it is un, more unusual for ladies for their sacroiliac joints to be damaged, for want of mm. a better term. So I think mm. you know, and obviously you need that mobility within the pelvis for for um for the birthing period. So it, it, yeah, very very interesting. And it doesn't sound like your it doesn't sound like your sacroiliac joints are fused. So no. um, it probably 
probably wouldn't be able to read too much into that but certainly um yeah very interesting so you obviously then you had that flare for an extended period of time mm. afterwards um and required that steroid injection did that then settle you down yeah 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 as I say it wasn't a nice experience to have no. that to have that done um but I initially my thoughts was oh my god I'm never having that again that was just horrific but then when I've gone back and reflected on it and that period of time I think it did um you know I do tend to respond very well to steroids mm. um and I think that that did settle things okay and then you decided you wanted another baby did you yeah I'll do that yeah, again. So, Why not? Oh yeah, no, no. Originally, it was no, never, absolutely not, do it, not, absolutely not do that again. But so there is a bit of an age gap. So six and two hmm. uh, is enough time for you to forget <laughs> what what's um, happened. And um, and how was that second time round? Uh, I'm guessing you were more prepared for things that might go wrong potentially. The yeah. Time, but... So I think um, I think psychologically it was tough. If I'm hmm. honest, um, if you look at kind of the history of me, both things have. It, everything is very unexpected and kind of come out of the blue and there was no warning warning signs equally with the the diagnosis of AS and then with the with the preeclampsia so I suppose my anxiety was quite high about mm. um at what point is it going to is it going to present itself again at what point is it going to be any issue so that was quite tricky to to deal with um and I actually got some support some, some support with that from a from a counsellor just because I was I didn't want to spend the whole pregnancy worried about what was going to happen um which I think is understandable um when I had no none of the warning signs for anything um so I again I was under consultant uh care I think the guidelines changed and the dose of aspirin was double what it was um the first time round but again nobody could shed any light on as to why it was more of a case of this happened here before so let's (laughs) make sure it didn't so I, I had more checks um so I was in I was in hospital sort of uh, once a week for about 26 weeks, just double checking that I wasn't starting to show any any signs of that that preeclampsia. Um, and then I opted for a, a C-section delivery uh, with with the second. And that was purely because the the preeclampsia in, in it with my first developed within the last week, very, yeah. very quick, a matter of days, really. And I didn't want to go to that last week and risk that again. So it wasn't about the actual delivery. It was more about the, the timings, if that makes sense, and yeah, having totally. a little bit of control over mm. over that last little bit. Um, yeah, I can, I can totally empathise with that from a, to a degree with regards to um, not wanting to get into that last yeah. section. And then mm. did you find you flared afterwards or...? No, so um, and I'm I kind of say that tentatively, even though she's nearly two now. Still <laughs> waiting. Still yeah, waiting. I'm waiting. For it. <laughs> I'm waiting. I'm like, uh, uh. no, I didn't. Um, mm. which is, which again is, is is interesting as to why I didn't that time, that time around. Um, I was, I wouldn't say perfectly fine. I think with with AS, you're never perfectly fine. There's always an element of something there, but I definitely didn't experience that that very severe flare that I did with. Uh, with the first mm. yeah interesting okay um certainly shows that you know some of these things aren't an inevitability are they and um yeah it's very variable depending on what sort of processes are so if you um if i'm gonna put you on the spot a little bit i think mm. if um if we had a whole host of ladies with as who were or or equivalents who were let's say early pregnant now or thinking of getting pregnant what would would you have any specific advice for them do you think or um would you or would you try and reassure them what would you say to them 
I think it is, yeah, I, I do think more, need, well, we can say this about a lot of things, can't we? But they, they, does need, they do need to be more research in it and, and, think, and, and attainable information for patients about, mm. about going through this because um, you're under, you know, you're under a rheumatologist who's looking after that side of you and you're under a midwife who's looking after that and there's no sort of um there's no collaborative work in there in terms of you as a whole person uh and I think we could say that for a lot a lot a lot of conditions couldn't we but so that does make it there's a very it is a sense of the unknown um and not really knowing where to turn to in terms of advice and, and support um and I suppose that's probably one of the reasons why I wanted to to talk to you because there must be other people in you know, in my situation, I'm not the only, the only person going through this. And and there is that sense of where do I turn to for for help and guidance with this. So so yeah, you know, there is reassurance that um that people can, you know, we can go through this and have perfectly healthy, happy babies and you can have mm. a pregnancy which is doesn't go to plan and you can have one and it, you know, that that you don't tend to have a flare with. So it's like I say it's there it's not inevitable that that you're gonna have a bad experience because I've kind of had two <laughs> with Very that yeah, yeah. um but my i think my advice would be is to keep um is, is to very much engage the, the rheumatologist and the consultants as much as possible about supporting you with uh what you do with medication what you don't do with medication and and, and other aspects that you that you perhaps need a bit more support with um you almost the patient almost has to be the one that joins up the two <laughs> two elements of care mm. yeah we see like you say we see that in quite a lot of different departments don't we um and i think asking questions yeah if if, if it sounds from my point of view from externally from what you've said it sounds like you asked you asked questions you didn't really get enough of an answer back and you still had questions to ask mm. and it's then okay where do i go to get the response that i need for that question isn't it um where, where's that next stage if if that person can't tell me what the answer is to enough of a degree to reassure me mm. um then what do i do with that information yeah. um did you go to um nas at all the Na- uh, national employees for life society yeah so i've been involved with them um uh previously and again i think um it, they were also a bit of a, a, a loss really in terms of finding that that support and evidence for right. those particular things um i don't know whether there's they're just there's not a lot of other women coming forward with their experiences about this or whether um um they just haven't got the platform to do that i'm not i'm not sure so it it, it was very much um it was either about managing the as <laughs> or it was about you know dealing with the uh, the risk associated uh, the um the complications with uh, with pregnancy and and with the rheumatologist definitely it was a case of well have your baby and then we'll sort you out <laughs> afterwards um yeah. there isn't yeah. that much of a journey that they go on with you um yeah, so I think my rheumatologist at the time said, you know, I'm here if you need steroids <laughs> afterwards. Right. So it was and a it, case of go and have that bit <laughs> and then we'll pick up the pieces afterwards. Um, yeah. Rather and than it, supporting you through that. And I think you, for to a degree, you were on the simpler end as well because you weren't taking anti-TNF medications mm. at the time either. Um, and it sort of part of me is concerned that that, that added complication would have made things even more difficult, especially the first pregnancy mm. that you had if you'd had to if you had been stable on some medication and had to come off mm. um and then 
maybe go on to something else or, or mess around with the stability of the of the condition that adds another mm. level of complexity doesn't it my I'm, I'm thinking i'm going to add this to my list of things to do is to source a rheumatologist who can answer some of these questions for us yeah. um yeah. and maybe maybe i'll get you back to come and yeah. fire questions at them from your point yeah. of view rather than me doing it um yeah no it's, that's all really um all really fascinating and um yeah amazing that you had such different different experiences and I know we you sort of elected for the c-section so mm. some of those things that might have triggered that flare might have been mm. avoided and I, mm. I was just going to ask do you think you definitely made the right decision there I'm guessing that the answer yeah 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 it wasn't it wasn't something I'd do again <laughs> it wasn't an enjoyable uh, it wasn't an enjoyable time um mm. but I think that but just for that peace of mind that I wasn't going to go into that you know as, as your pregnancies go on anyway I think the it, anxiety for women just builds the further you go along there's a lot of things to, to to consider so I think just by taking control of that one element that I could did it did help whether or not it helped like you say even avoiding a flare we don't know I don't know whether that would have happened or not um but I think yeah I was definitely there was an element of control there which helped brilliant brilliant I this has been fascinating for me and given me lots of uh things to think about is there anything else you wanted to sort of get off your chest or let, let anybody know mm. or, te- or any information you think might be useful to anybody before we wrap up I think um I suppose the only other thing to to mention really is I, su- I suppose more so for the female side and maybe it is the height mobility that would um make somebody like me appear well mm. um so a lot of what I get um you know if I mentioned to my to my staff that that I have this, they, well, they just can't, they don't believe it um, because I don't, I don't know that they have the typical look of somebody with it where they is, but I don't fit that, that sort of picture. I'm not there sort of complaining about my pain every two minutes. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, um, and I suppose that, yeah, I would, I would all just for the professionals of, of your audience really, I would, I would, I would ask them to consider what managing it well looks like Um because is that actually are they actually managing it well or are they hiding it well um what does it have to look like for you to say or for you to empathize with with somebody um I think just having an awareness of it does coming lots of different shapes and sizes and and the individuals will manage that condition in many different ways whether it they're in sort of they've really taken control of that condition and they're very proactive and their self-management is really good are they more on the denial aspect of it and actually you know they are sat there and their pelvis is burning away at them but they're choosing not to tell you that um and they choose to you know and and I suppose if you were to look at me to the untrained eye you know my my gait would look fairly normal my movement would look normal um so it's yeah I think it's just having that consider what managing it well kind of looks like um and perhaps before making that assumption and using those phrases is to delve a little bit deeper mm. um into that yeah and you, you've you've been very honest with us that you have hidden it at times and mm. put a brave face on it and carried on regardless um and I wonder um you said I just wanted to pick up very quickly on something you said a little while ago about um having maybe having should have been taking anti-inflammatories a bit more a bit earlier or a bit being a bit braver taking them or being maybe being less brave and not putting up with it so much Mm. to take the anti-inflammatories if you um it's very difficult to give advice I suppose on an individual basis but is that something you've changed your 
your approach on? Would you now take the anti-inflammatories a bit earlier or are you still stubborn? I'm still, there's still a stubborn element. Um, it doesn't help with the fact that I'm now an independent prescriber as well. So my knowledge on the, <laughs> <laughs> the effects of anti-inflammatories and steroids is, um, yeah, too much knowledge is dangerous, I think, as a patient. Mm. Um, and, and I do go, you know, to the rheumatology nurse with some very difficult questions about medication, um, you know, such as I'm very aware of the long-term use of steroids, particularly in women. Um, so I, I, I'm trying to balance it between having that, having that, that knowledge and protecting my, my, my other body systems, if you like, from some things, but also not completely just avoiding, avoiding taking that. So I suppose I am a little bit quicker to do something to calm it down. Mm. because I am because I do have that history of knowing what a very severe flare feels like and and I don't want to go back there again um but it's but I will definitely not stay on them for for a minute longer than I than I need to be um and uh, and and yeah and I suppose not everybody's going to have that approach um Mm. to things uh so I yeah it's a difficult one that's very similar to the advice I tend to give to people. I, I often say it, if you imagine that your inflammatory system is doing this, mm. it's far, you need far less medication to intervene here than you do up here. Um, and then coming off the other side. So I often say to people, you know, it's better to take it early and then realize you didn't need it for yeah. a few doses than it is to wait for a few weeks and then realize, ah, oh, now I need a steroid injection or I need six weeks or, or whatever it is. Um, but equally mm. it's gotta be what works for the individual. Um, it is, and- yeah. And, and I think that, you know, I've been, uh, when we talk about the, you know, the, the classic symptoms of waking in the second half mm. of the night with, with pain and, um, and in my experience, you know, that's, that, that is, it's horrific pain. If I'm honest, it's a very, very fierce burning, you know, I've been sat at two o'clock in the morning with an ice pack on my SI joint and it's melting within minutes because there's, there's that much in active inflammation. Mm. Um, and, and, and yeah, not, and not getting to that stage is, is, is important. Sometimes it's, it, it isn't avoidable in my case. I do seem to have a very fast acting, <laughs> get these very abrupt flares rather than the slow burning um, sort of flare ups. Mm. So, you know, I do try and do other, other things apart from just, reach for the tablet straight away but I think years gained has told me not to leave it too long (laughs) yeah and it is hard because as you mentioned we know there are anti-inflammatories are no good for you steroids are no good for you but the flare-ups are no good for you either um and there's got to be a butter zone somewhere and that's going to sit different places for different Mm. individuals and some people will be they just I, I don't know I've met all of the types, as you can imagine, as soon as they get a twinge of anything, they're straight into the anti-inflammatories and other people a bit more like yourself. They're like, no, I'm going to, this might settle down in 10 days. I don't need them. I'll stick it out for 10 days and and carry on. But it's, it's what people can deal with. I mean, your consultant to a degree was right. You know, the flare up isn't going to kill you, (laughs) Um, but it isn't going to be very nice. And it's, you know, I was, I say to people a lot, if you can't do the things you enjoy, that's going to have a very big impact upon you. Um, and if you can carry on doing the things you can enjoy, then you can tolerate quite a lot of symptoms. But as mm. soon as you start to not do those things, then those symptoms become a lot more impactful on your life. And I think it's it's trying to find that balance. Isn't it? Yeah, and I've definitely adapted you know, over the years when I was sort of, again, going going through all the differential diagnosis I could possibly think of Um for for having this is I'll, I'll be, you know going back to that cause and effect I think right you know if I get in the gym I do some 
some strength and conditioning this is gonna this is gonna fix me this is you know this is what mm. I need to do because it would it would in the short term make me feel better um and I said yeah see you know I was right I haven't got this it's completely you know it's, it's just I've got weakness and again going that if I strengthen it it will get better and um and then a flare would hit and would just you know it's almost like it was trying to prove me mm. <laughs> prove me wrong all the time so I've adapted you know I've given up um not that I was sort of a super keen runner or anything but that was somebody that was able to go out for a run um that's just you know that's off the cars the impact on the SI joint is um it, you know that's just not not possible uh, but I do still enjoy you know other things I've got a horse and I ride and I walk and um I've done things like yoga in the past which has been you know massively beneficial so um I have very very slowly adapted <laughs> like you say to be in a position that I can do things even if I do have um symptoms yeah um but that took that was a journey I had to go on to to get to that there was a lot of kind of um yeah throwing my running trainers and <laughs> saying I'm never going to be able to do this and, and uh you know going to the gym and then walking out because I was in too much you know too much pain and yeah I battled it a long time I think to try and get control of it um which was which was difficult but yeah I've, I've given up on those <laughs> I'm, 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 um, yeah, becoming a little bit more accepting. <laughs> it's only taken a decade. Yeah, it's only taken a decade <laughs> of, of that. Um, but it is, you know, and you can have, you know, you have days where you think, oh, I feel, I feel absolutely, feel great. There's absolutely yeah. nothing wrong with me. And then it can be something as, um, you know, if I just tend to catch that SI joint in the right position, uh, often if I'm changing direction quickly, and obviously that, that erosion and that damage is there, that it will just remind me, you know, that, oh, remember, remember there's that there. Um, and then instantly mentally you, you your brain does go to a bit of a negative place and you think oh yeah you're just just reminding me something something's there but day to day I would say I don't let it control my life mm. it isn't at the forefront of good of what I'm doing excellent well brilliant I'm I'm delighted you've spent the best part of 45 minutes or so yeah. chatting with me it's been really fascinating I've got loads of things that I'm going to follow up on as well and try and find some more info um but yeah um Thank you very much. And I hope hopefully some people find this find this useful from your experiences. Um, and I hope that anybody will get in touch and get in touch with me on social media if they want to have questions and I'll try and follow up some of the unanswered things we've done today. Mm. We've got two today. Um, I'm gonna to put those on my list as well.